You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Today, we're going to be talking about financial infidelity. Talking about money. Money. Money, honey. Okay. Are we good at talking about money with each other? I think we're good about talking about some aspects of money. Okay, let's start with the good. I think we communicate a lot when it comes to certain investment opportunities. Oh, sure. Uh, things like that. Um, I think we're both generally on the same page in terms of how much money we have. So those are some good things. I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts? You know, it's funny. As soon as you start talking about money, especially, you know, with others in the room <laughs> with us, so to speak, it's, uh, I get uncomfortable. Like well, I feel uncomfortable. I grew up with the understanding that talking about money was something you did not do. And it's becoming much more open now where people talk about how much money they make at work and how much money, um, I guess, they they want to have in the future and how much they currently have. But I did not grow up like that. You you did not talk about money. No, and we, we do need that transparency because... One, you know, exercise of power from people who do have money, who control the resources, yeah. involves convincing everyone that we shouldn't talk about it so we don't know about <laughs> their yeah. billions yeah. and whatnot. But I have to admit that it's definitely not in my background to talk about it. Uh, I can talk about it in, in specifics when it's relevant to the conversation. Like anytime I've done business with family, we've been very open, very straightforward about the projects themselves, but not about specifics that are personal. So I feel a little bit nervous but we're gonna get into it so okay you said we're good at talking about certain things what do we struggle with do you think Uh, sometimes i think that there's a difference in terms of where we want to spend our money okay and how we want to spend our money um so that's the first thing i want to spend it (laughs) (laughs) i want to spend our money too i don't want to hoard i don't want to hoard my money okay i do want to spend it i want to enjoy it i think because of my upbringing because about i think there's an element of shame of guilt about having money about maybe not sharing the money that you have with others and i'm talking about with i'm referencing my family Mm -hmm. so i think that that is something that um makes me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. yeah and i definitely you know i come from a background where we do share money with family, where mm-hmm. we pick up tabs, where you take people places, where you treat people. Things are not split down the middle. Mm-hmm. It is a full on, is it WWE wrestling <laughs> fight at the dim sum table to yeah, see who gets yeah, it. it. Is, it's fun. There's a lot of sneaking because we want the bill, not because we don't want the bill. I think there's actually, for me, more shame in not paying the bill. Like yeah, you notice agreed. anywhere yeah. I go, I would rather just pick up the tab because I feel uncomfortable Ooh, we're with going, the splitting. We're going down a whole other avenue now because, I mean, for me, there's a there's a power dynamic when, when somebody, like when I feel like somebody's picking up the tab, but that there's strings with it. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I want, and, and now let me be clear to any of my friends that are listening, I don't feel that way with you. Friends? Any of my friend that is listening, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel that way with you, but it is something that, you know, money, m- money was like a power play, right? Where it's like you, you picked up the tab and you did it with purpose, with reason. And I've had to, you know, I've had to kind of dismantle that, that idea that, that it was like, holding something over someone's head. Right. 
which is not, uh, first of all, it's, when I reflected on it, it's not the way I want to live. It's I never not the way I want like to conduct that. myself. Like anyone who is generous to me in my life, uh, like I think about an auntie who bought me a Nintendo when I was little. What? Yeah, I got a Nintendo and I thought it was the coolest you thing ever. Duck Hunt? Of course I had Duck Hunt. That's the only oh, game man. I I only had Mario and Duck Hunt because it's what came with the console. We never got another game, I don't think. <laughs> I remember Johnny who lived across the street from me, he had a Nintendo and it was... Actually, eventually I think we got Tetris. We I, Is that for Nintendo? Well, that was the, uh, what was the game handheld Boy. one? Game Boy. No, I think I had Tetris on the computer if I'm not, or on the Nintendo console. Anyhow, it was given without strings. And I do have so many people in my life who give without strings. Like one of my cousins who I'm closest with is just a natural giver. And I don't just mean financial. I know we're talking about money, but giving of time and energy and space and hospitality and food. They are also very generous. Super generous. So I think the more you're around those people and they don't want anything from you the more you pick up that same attitude of giving. And I, and I feel like I need to clarify, I don't think, I mean, having had been with you now for 22 years, I do try to model your behavior, which is be generous. You know, don't expect anything in return. And I hope that I, I come across that way now because I genuinely, when I pick up the bill, it's because I want to. Let's it's be- because I take pleasure in in you know, in paying for that meal or, or being or the company that has chosen to join me for that meal. Like, I'm very appreciative of that. Can I just tell you, I'm super nervous. I feel like it's just the talking about money. I can't kind of shake the nerves today. But yes, and you know, especially if you've come from a background where you maybe you didn't, for me, I, we didn't grow up with as much. And now we mm-hmm. have, we have a great life. Hey, and listen. so we're able to pick up the tab. Like that feels really good. But I guess I wonder if there's a difference where I might want to pick it up more than you. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I still feel like I, I generally want to pick up the bill with some people with, with yeah with with most people most people yeah, yeah. is it an it's it's actually a bit of a response where i don't like that moment where you're trying to figure out who pays it so i'd rather just pay it yeah i mean that's definitely something that crosses my mind too i think like i was lucky at too. the end of a meal when you're waiting for the bill to come i'd rather just pay the bill I started bartending when I was 18 years old, so I had cash. So even when I was in university and I was paying my way through university, I had cash. I did not. <laughs> no, you didn't. I remember the day I became a hundred air. <laughs> <laughs> so I was used to paying for things because, you know, when you're younger, especially people have different amounts of money. And actually, that's still the case in our lives. And so to me, it's like if I have a little bit more, I want to pay for it. Okay, <laughs> let's move away we're from gonna... you and me and talk more generally about financial infidelity because I have a whole bunch of questions that I've received from you folks that relate to financial infidelity. And I want to, before we dive into it, shout out our friends over at Bloomy again. So Bloomy is a sexologist-led sexual wellness brand, and they make a range of products from fabulous vibrators to organic lubes, all available at Target and they're a partner of ours and we were involved in their last round of investment because we're fans of what they're doing. So they've established the industry's first clean standard for intimacy products in the U.S. Their lubes are 510k cleared by the FDA. Toys are made with medical grade silicone. They make sustainable, really high quality products Again, accessible price points, ergonomic, designed with accessibility in mind for different sizes, different shapes, different abilities, and with a prioritization of sustainability with eco-friendly packaging, recyclable sugarcane, treeless cartons, all compostable. That's such a hard word for me. (laughs) Uh, And again, once again, available at Target, over a thousand stores across the U.S. So please do check them out. The first Latina-founded brand in 
Target sexual wellness aisle. And if you aren't in the States, you can check them out at thebloomy.com. And Bloomy is B-L-O-O-M-I. So Bloom and an I. Nice and simple. Please do check them out. Okay, financial infidelity. So is looking at some of the data, around a third of us have lied to our partners about money. An equal number have been on the receiving end of some form of financial infidelity. And financial infidelity, of course, can take so many different forms. So it might involve hiding money, lying about debt, lying about income, inflating or deflating figures, falsifying records, uh, definitely using financial power to manipulate or control a partner. And of course, it wreaks havoc on all relationships. It doesn't even have to be a partner, families as well. Uh, And it can be a symptom of relationship troubles as opposed to the root issue itself. So I want to get into this And in defining financial infidelity, I think sometimes we set the bar for so-called fidelity at a level that most of us can't live up to, right? If you define financial cheating as any spending that you hide from your partner, you know, maybe you sneak an item of clothing in at the grocery store, treat yourself to a special edition pair of sneakers, and maybe just don't show them the receipts. Some people are going to consider that cheating. I thought you were going to say something like they had a, a, an extra beer or a coffee. <laughs> you could buy some new kicks, you could drop three, four hundred bucks. Oh yeah. Some kicks cost more than that. Oh yeah. Not mine. but I, And you know, for others, it's more serious where it's a secret bank account, undisclosed debt, losses from investments that went wrong. And I think anytime you're hiding something, you might consider it cheating. But okay, let's be realistic. I think we've all covered something up or neglected to mention, aka lie by omission, some purchase at some point in time, because I don't know, maybe sometimes it's not relevant to your budget or your relationship. Some people keep their finances separate. And so to get back to the definition, I think if you're breaking an agreed upon contract by lying directly or indirectly, you might be cheating financially. So I don't know if I really defined it there. Okay. Have you lied to me about about money? I mean, based on that description, I'm sure that I have. I feel like I'm very transparent when it comes to our money. Um, We've shared money since like we shared a bank account since the moment we more or less met. Right. Because who was going to pay our rent if well, I didn't exactly. let you Exactly. Let's be my... real. I had no <laughs> money. I was like, let's share money because I've got nothing. So I'm going to share the zero dollars with you. Actually, that reminds me of the conversation that we had with uh, Justin, the, uh, the divorce lawyer. Right. And he was saying it depends who's coming to the table with what assets right. in advance and the importance of getting a, a prenup signed. And I didn't really have assets. Like I was 21. I had yeah. Some cash Listen, in my if hand. You had twenty bucks. It was assets based on what I had. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And yeah. we were working in a business where we earned cash quickly, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the money came in quickly and the money went out quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Mine not so quickly as yours, but definitely quickly. Yeah, but as soon as you learned to bartend, then it came in quicker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're pretty grateful for that job. We yeah. were very lucky, yeah, very lucky to have those jobs in the heyday of nightclubs too. I yeah. don't know if it's the yeah. same anymore. Remember my first outfit bartending? A pair of gold shorts. Gold. They're not even shorts. Gold Speedo. underwear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brin- Speedo. Brennan's first bartending gig was at a nightclub in Toronto called Fly. And you guys went all night because it was like a circuit party. Yeah, man. They partied until like 8 a.m. I remember or that 7, you 7 would come home and the sun was up. Oh, yeah. I remember I got pulled over by the cops once oh, on really? the way home. Um, because I think I slow rolled a stop sign okay. and the guy pulled me over and he's like, where are you coming from? Now I had changed out of my gold <laughs> briefs, but, uh, I was like, I was bartending at fly and I'm like, it, he kind of looked at me and nodded and he's like, 
he could tell that I had not been drinking. He's like, just go home, go to bed. And Fly honestly was just a few minutes from our house. I'm surprised you even drove. Yeah, I'm like not it sure wasn't why a I long drive. No, it wasn't very far. It was super no. close. So, okay, I want to get into why we lie about money, but I want to admit that I've definitely hidden stuff from you. Oh, I know. I'm <laughs> laughing because I know you've hidden stuff from me. Like, it's it, not. It's probably, let me ask, it's, it's not huge things. It, it was like clothing purchases, not clothing. M- maybe a car. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I've never, <laughs> never owned, owned a, car. a car. I don't buy clothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it would be more, for example, the most recent one I can think about. Oh, something recent. Okay, tell me. Yeah, so I would tell you if you asked me point blank, but I'd rather not show <laughs> it's you. It's like lying by omission. <laughs> so yeah, just stalling here. Do you remember that super fun karaoke night I had in December? Yeah. The most fun night. So oh, I know you paid for everything that night. What did you buy? The bar around in shots? I did. You did, didn't <laughs> you? you? Know me that too bar well. was packed too. Did you really? That's awesome. It was really fun. <laughs> and it was sort of this bar where it was all students and then old people. And then me and my two friends come in dressed up because we had this like fancy dinner for the holidays. And everyone was just so warm and welcoming. Oh, that was great. I had a good time there. Yeah. Until I left. You were only there for a minute. No, I. I stayed for like an hour or so. I got in a couple of ballads. Do you not remember my performance? Okay, so after you were done singing, pretty amazing. I bought some one. rounds. And so it's not <laughs> that I... <laughs> it just went from a, bot- a round to I bought some rounds. Oh, uh, this is hilarious. They were vodka shots. <laughs> <laughs> Do you Using air quotes with vodka? <laughs> no, they were vodka shots. I tried to convince them to sell me a bottle, but it's not the bottle service type of place. It's, <laughs> it's like awesome. a neighborhood. I like that place, It's man. a bar slash Chinese food restaurant. Anyhow, so I would, for example, not put those receipts in your pile. (laughs) What do you think? I'm not going to see the credit card statement? No, I know you're going to know, but I kind of just don't want to talk about it. And I'm sweating right now. So those types of things are the things that I would not be as honest about. <laughs> and, and also recognizing, recognizing the privilege with which we operate where it's like, that's okay. Like it's not going to, yeah. it's not going to, you know, send a, we're not going to miss a rent payment or food mm-hmm. for the children or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But I'm laughing about it because I'm like, what did you, wh- what was the concern with telling me about it? Because I'm laughing about it right now. I would have laughed about it then. I was actually more surprised that any of the three of you, because you went with your two friends, could even communicate <laughs> with each other the next day. Listen, I was singing some George Michael, some Mariah Carey Christmas albums, and I was very communicative. I saw, I saw Mel trying to sing, and it was it was a lot of yelling. Okay, so now that we've cleared the air on that, no, I'm not afraid of your response. I think maybe I'm just a little embarrassed where I'm like, yeah, I might have bought a round of shots or two. Uh, or two or three. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I have to say that there are things that I haven't shown you over time. And we are, yes, absolutely in a position of privilege where if I go spend a little too much at a bar, I mean, really, like that was a one time a year thing, we're still okay. So for me, it was embarrassment because you wouldn't do that. Like you wouldn't drink too much and be like, you're all my best friends. Here's <laughs> some polarized vodka. Mind you, if everyone <laughs> gave me a standing ovation for my uh, for my karaoke performance, I might be inclined to buy everybody. Nobody gave me a standing ovation. So and that's why you had to buy their love. I, I listen, folks, I buy love. I was 
was giving a dog treats this morning. Okay, we need to continue. So I'm thinking about why I lied and why people lie about money. And I think there are so many layers and reasons. I think sometimes it has to do with shame and fear of judgment, right? We're ashamed that we made an impulse buy. We're embarrassed that we still carry student debt or credit card debt, and we don't want to be judged. Hmm. You know, people lie because they don't want to be judged for what they earn. Others begin with a small lie that kind of blossoms into ongoing deception by accident. Mm -hmm. I think other times it's about pressure to meet societal or familial or cultural expectations with regard to earning or saving or building for the future. You know, there's a client I'm thinking of who hid her debt from her husband and her entire family after losing a high sum, okay, a big Mm -hmm. sum to a dishonest business partner because- After decades of kind of one financial success after another, she was mortified and she was just in denial. And of course, lying affects the relationship. But I think if you talk about why you lied, if you can have some understanding and vulnerability there, you can you can talk, get through it. You know, sometimes lies about money are actually pro-social, meaning that we use them to protect or support others, or at least that's our perception. So maybe you hide a parking ticket because you know it's something that would stress your partner out. Or sometimes I think it's about a lack of safety and security, whether those be emotional or financial, right? You don't feel like you can open up to your partner if you've made a mistake or a decision that led to a loss or a spend. Maybe you don't feel safe telling your partner where you're at financially because maybe there's a dynamic or an unrealistic expectation about how much you should earn or save or bring to the table. Uh, You know, in other cases, these ones are really hard, I find. Folks will hide their spending habits because they fundamentally disagree with their partner on financial values. So for example, if your partner refuses to see your perspective on spending, on something that you value, or if your expectations around debt or savings differ really greatly. You know, sometimes it's easier to just keep money separate in those cases. But I have to say, I've seen so many relationships break up over a values misalignment. Like it can be really hard to bridge. Would you say that our values have always been aligned? Financial values? That's a good question. Um, No, I think that we've kind of built together because we're in such a different space than we were when we met. I think we're probably more aligned now Mm -hmm. than we ever were. And that does come from a place of privilege, which I'm, again, uncomfortable talking about. But I think that your safety net needed to be bigger than my safety net. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because from a young age, from 18, I was earning money, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas, you know, you had lower paying jobs. And so there was a nervousness that if I were to lose my job, if there was an unexpected expense, if something fell through, that you wouldn't be able to pay rent or you wouldn't be able to make the car payment. And so I think that probably the privilege of earning, because earning is a privilege. It's not Mm -hmm. that I'm brilliant or I worked harder. It's I'm lucky Mm -hmm. to have had those jobs at the bar, in the clubs, to have had security. I think maybe I've had more financial security since I've been mm-hmm. financially independent. I can say that I certainly didn't get the number of tips as a stock boy at Kmart that I think you got working <laughs> in the bars. Well, you didn't wear a bikini like I did. No, I, did. I don't think they would. I don't think they would have let. But <laughs> you, I would. I would agree though, and I'm. I'm. I'm not surprised. I, I'm. I agree with you that our financial values were not terribly different from the beginning, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. And I would say that you've flexed more towards my side of the spectrum, or at least you did, I think, initially. And then now I I feel like we're pretty much 
parallel in terms of our alignment with mm-hmm. financial values. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how that will change moving forward because I do see you approaching things a little bit differently than I do right now. And I feel like I need to kind of swing or become at least receptive to how you want to spend our money now moving forward. I think one of the things too, to be honest, if we're talking about ourselves is that we don't spend a lot. Like neither of us is a shopper. I don't buy clothing. I used to buy more, but I mean, Mm. definitely post pandemic, like I just don't spend a lot. We're not buying clothes. We're not buying shoes. I don't collect handbags, any of those things. I have, we have everything we need, right? I'm not naked. I feel feel very lucky (laughs) for all the things that I have, but I also feel like I don't think that we have the financial, maybe some people would see them as like vices or kind of desires for certain things. Right. Bags, watches, cars. cars that can, you know, make life very difficult if you don't have the financial means to continue to upkeep them or trade them in and get new ones and so on. And the flip side of that is when you don't have financial stress, mm-hmm. you're, it's easier to align when you're really dealing with the fact that people are underpaid, oh, agreed. overworked, inflation, cost mm-hmm. of living are so is so high. Of course, that's going to take a toll on your relationship. So if you're comfortably above the poverty line, I think it makes it easier for us to have these conversations and align. Yeah. I I completely agree. Now, I'm thinking about red flags, because if you're worried that your partner is being dishonest, you've probably encountered some of the red flags already, right? People hiding their mail, changing their passwords, discarding receipts, like the one from the bar that night. (laughs) Um, You know, I've heard from people, listen, I've heard some serious stories around financial infidelity, folks who have had partners kind of insisting that they sign documents without reading them, folks who refuse to set a budget. And I get it that people are not keen on budgets necessarily, but become defensive or avoidant or really angry when you even try and talk about money. Now, I don't want to say that those are universal red flags because there's a lot of reasons why people don't want to talk about money. But I think about if if you're on the side where you have been hiding something, you have to think about, okay, so how do I come clean? Should I come clean? Do I have to tell you every little thing? But I think if something to do with money and maybe hiding a habit or an experience, if it's causing you distress, and if money is adversely affecting the relationship, I think it is time to speak up. And if you don't feel like you can have this conversation, if it becomes explosive, if your partner, you know, just gets too upset or withdraws, it can be helpful to just do it with a therapist or a financial counselor's support and guidance. And it does involve, if you've been hiding money, you have to take responsibility first. And sure, you can help to explain why you did it, but you can't really make excuses. And I do think if you are going to open up to somebody that you love about having lied about money, it's good to have a plan in place mm. for recovery and for moving forward, right? That's and, great. That's a great piece of advice. Don't just come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the solution. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, here are some of our options. And of course, you know, there's no, there are no universal rules for sharing or, and disclosing in relationships. Some people believe you should share everything and others have more value for separation and privacy. But here's, it all comes down to this to me. If you can open up about the vulnerable feelings that underpin your financial decisions, including infidelity, I think your partner is going to be more likely to listen and understand and have empathy and work toward a collaborative resolution. But one thing I see is people will do something where clearly they're the ones breaking the contract, like clearly they're the ones hiding money, and then they blame their partner. Right? Oh, or they... I, would, I would hear that all the time. I shouldn't say all the time, but I heard it a number of times in, in when I was working in real estate hmm. and to the point where I'd, I would have to say to people, I, I can't work with you 
if you're doing this like this is malicious this is this is conniving hmm. like and i can't i can't be a part of this hmm. legally i can't be a part of this what about morally, people did too. you see people in couples who would be hiding things from each other yes especially in couples where the relationship wasn't uh, a solid Mm. And where one partner felt they were unsure about the relationship moving forward and another partner wanted to, to advance the relationship by moving in together, by buying something together. Or on the flip side, where the relationship already existed and somebody wanted to separate. And they were like thinking about like, how do I, how do I move, save, hide money? Mm. And as soon as that came up, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I, I will not be involved in this. Mm. I'm like, you might be, I, I, and. I would just, I remember a circumstance where I said like, I can't work with you. Mm-hmm. You have to go and talk to a lawyer and you have to figure out what you can and can't do because I can't be a part of this mm-hmm. and I won't be a part. So I've seen it on both sides going in and coming out. That sucks. It does suck. It really sucks. And I, when I think about the whys, I'm like, okay, what stops us from just being honest? And I mean, I know so many people just want to avoid uncomfortable conversations, but the hurt oh, yeah. that we cause in the long run. So... You know, on, on the one side, if you have been hiding things, think about how you can open up. And if you're on the other side, if you discover that someone you love is being financially dishonest, I think, can you keep an open mind? Can you contemplate why they might have felt pressured by themselves, by society, by their family, even by the dynamic in your relationship? Why might they have felt pressured to lie about money. And obviously, if they are hiding something, you probably want to talk to them. And I would definitely consider seeking professional support on that end, right? The stress of financial infidelity can be similar to that of sexual or relational infidelity. So rebuilding trust becomes the name of the game. And with professional support, I think that can be easier. And again, when you open up about those vulnerable feelings, I think that leads the conversation in in the right direction. And I, I think what we have to remember when I talk about layers, we have to realize that financial expectations, financial values intersect with our upbringing, with our familial beliefs, with personal values, with insecurities, with conceptions of responsibility, roles we play, identity related to gender, and so much more. But it really is an essential discussion. I remember when we first got together, I mean, the embarrassment that I had not having the money to do some of the things that you wanted to do and how it really flipped the the kind of the gender roles where you were taking me out and I had to learn to be okay with that. And it drove- Hang on, you seemed okay. Well, I seemed okay <laughs> because okay. I was like, I'd like to go out with you. Um, but I do remember feeling, genuinely feeling uncomfortable, but not having- I don't want to say the emotional intelligence, but but just to the the time, the effort, the the yeah, like the ability to reflect back on like why am I feeling this way? It's okay, you know, that somebody else is doing something for me that cares about me, and then that sad to admit that that was a driving force behind you know the first few years of my work, if not longer, which was you know needing to to kind of embrace the social you know hierarchy of how much money I had to make. And it really sucks when mm-hmm. you define yourself by how much money you have in the bank as opposed to the person that you are. And especially with your partner. Like I'm so grateful and so thankful for, <laughs> for you taking care of me. <laughs> not that I didn't work and not that I didn't earn you money. You worked but a ton when I met you. I had to. I felt like I had to work a ton just to keep mm-hmm. up. But that's not for that's not to for you to feel bad for me or anything like that. But it was, you know, these pressures that are there that you're constantly being fed and that I do think that the younger generations are aware of and they're saying, you know what, screw this. I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to kind of just capitulate to this capitalistic way of life and wake up in 30 years and be unhappy. I'm going to recognize it now, say screw it, and I'm going to live 
the way that I want to right. live. Right. Still, still have to support yourself within yeah, the system, but definitely not making it all about making money. Yeah. Or as, as fun as money things. is, of course. Of course. Like, and I mean, I'm I would be lying to you if I said I didn't enjoy having money to do things. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I have a bunch of questions from folks and I'm going to weigh in kind of briefly on them. So I'm going to dive right in here. So this first person writes in and says, my husband doesn't let me see the accounts and it's getting worse and worse, I think. He spends on golf, poker, clothes, watches. I'm always on a tight budget trying to get the staples like groceries and kids clothes. He says we're fine and not to worry, but I saw the credit card statement six months ago and we are really in debt. Now he won't let me see a thing and I don't know what to do. I love him. He's good to me and he's a great dad. Everything else feels good in the life that we've built together but i'm stressed about money and i should add that he's from money and i'm not Ooh, so you know this is a dynamic and arrangement that that worries me a little you know when one partner spends more hides debt and has most or all of the control over the finances because money is survival in a world in the world we live in whether we like it or not so i think it's important that we have both financial literacy and an understanding of where we're at financially so you don't have to know everything but I would think, for example, you, you want to know where your money is and have access to it, right? Especially if you're buying staples like kids' clothes and groceries. You probably want to have an idea of how much you're spending and maybe how much you're saving. I know not everybody can save. If you're in debt, you may not be saving. And I think you want to know what you'd need to do financially if your partner wasn't around or if they were incapacitated. And this is something that oftentimes gets lost in relationships. Um, you know, in older relationships, it was often a gender thing or one partner worked and the other partner didn't. That's less common today, although it still exists. I was talking to a woman who's 77 the other day and her partner died and he handled everything financially. She doesn't know anything, like doesn't know what the 401k is, how the investments work. So I think it's easier to learn those things when earlier on, right? When you're not dealing with the stress of the loss of the love of your life. So my suggestion is sit down, let them know that you want to learn and that you want to understand. It's not about accusations, but it's about your own understanding. And if he is resistant or refuses to talk, let him know you're going to take a look at the bills and the statements. And you say he's good to you, so it doesn't sound like you're in a dangerous position. But if you do feel, you know, a flip of a switch, because people will flip into a new person when it comes to money, especially if there's any shame or embarrassment or feelings of having their identity threatened around it, definitely get professional help. Like talk to a counselor even just once. If your name is on the accounts, I'd say go to your financial institution and ask them to explain where you're at and what your options are. Because just with this small amount of info, I don't know if maybe he does want help but doesn't want to burden you with it or if he doesn't realize how serious this debt is or perhaps doesn't realize that you're scrimping and saving to get the staples while some of the discretionary spending on his end is a little bit higher. But I do hope you start this conversation and go to your financial institution. Hopefully your name is, is on the accounts. Okay, next one. It's kind of similar. My wife is always hiding bills from me and shopping behind my back. I don't mean here and there. I mean every week, new outfits, new stuff for our house. We earn about 50-50. We're not in debt and I don't want to control her spending. She's amazing in every way. I just want her to be honest because if it feels like she's hiding her shopping, it makes me think she can hide other things and I want it to be more open. Yeah, I mean, I think some people might say, oh, this isn't so serious because you're in a strong financial position. Let her do what she wants. But I'd say, no, you're absolutely right. Being lied to hurts. 
um, and repeated lies undermine the existing trust and connection and admiration you have for her and, and even the relationship itself. So I think you need to let her know that last part. Maybe even read her what you wrote to me here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like the way that they wrote that statement was very, you know, empathetic, carefully crafted. And if the partner on the other end is as receptive, then I would imagine hopefully it results in a fruitful conversation. Yeah, you can have a conversation maybe about why she's hiding or lying when you don't seem particularly reactive about it. Um, you know, there maybe is a fear or a self-consciousness or financially related trauma or shame underlying her behavior. So yeah, let her know exactly what you said. You're amazing. But also let her know, you know, your behavior is making me feel however it's making you feel. Is it making you feel alone or disconnected or hurt or unsure or whatever feelings are coming up for you? Yeah, please go have that combo. Next. <laughs> okay. My husband spends too much and saves too little. How do I convince him that we need to save for the future? We're 43 and 45 with two young kids and we don't even have an RESP, let alone an RRSP. So for those are Canadian terms that your RSP is like the American version of the 401k and an RESP is uh, savings for education. Education savings yeah. account, yeah. And when you put money in, the government also contributes some funds so that your kid can use it for college or something in the future uh, for the for those who are not Canadian and are not familiar with those. So listen, I could say, hey, start the conversation. But I would also say maybe prepare first. Go to your bank or a financial planner to draw up scenarios and put together some plans for you because they're going to be able to map out, hey, you're 43 and 45, which is a bit later to, to start saving for RESPs and RRSPs, but never, ever too late. It is never, ever too late. I mean, I'm not a financial person, but I would say go to them and they'll draw up different plans to show you how you may be able to retire or how you're perhaps able to send your kids to school or support them in some way if that's if that's a goal of yours, which I assume it is because you brought up the RESP. And I'd also say, you know, I think, again, this is a financial side, not the relational side, but use an app to create a budget, right? So there's an app like, for example, YNAB. So it stands for you need a budget. <laughs> so if you don't have access to a professional right now, use the app. But I will say like in Canada and you're in Canada, it sounds like most banks will help because... They want your money. <laughs> they want you to save. Yep. They want you to invest with them. So they will probably draw up scenarios and they have software that will do that. And you can probably even find some on, on online. But I would say before you go to him to have this conversation, don't put it off too long, but have some sort of a plan so you can show him what you have in mind. I'm also wondering because... They say, she said at the beginning that they're saving too little, spending too much. What What is, like, what is it that's your goal? Like, what is it that you consider to be a reasonable amount? Because maybe it's unreasonable and I'm not being critical. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. But as you said, maybe coming forward with two or three different options where it's like, I'd like to, I, I'd like to save this much because then maybe they want to save less and you mm -hmm. can find some middle ground or something and at least start the process so you feel a little bit more comfortable. But understanding that I think would be important from the beginning. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Absolutely. Okay. To a younger couple now, they say, actually, it's just one of them writing in. <laughs> it's never both, right? We're moving in soon, 26 and 28 years old, but our spending habits and financial backgrounds are totally different. He's a cheapskate. Ooh. He still wants to split everything down the middle. I earn more than him and I don't mind paying more. Is this a red flag? 
Ooh, so I think this is an opportunity to learn and understand one another better. I don't think his desire to split things is a red flag, but I do think that maybe the judgment of calling him a cheapskate might be something you want to reflect on because... <laughs> listen, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> to be fair, maybe it's just a little bit of lost in translation in terms of how I read the text, right? Sometimes it lacks the tone or the playfulness. But I do hope that you're starting from a place of respecting your differences because you come from divergent financial backgrounds. And I will say, those of us who maybe didn't have as much of a financial safety net, we are maybe looking to build more of a financial safety net. Maybe we can't move back in with our parents. Maybe, you know, we don't have something to fall back on. So, and I'm not saying that's the case, but I do know that there's many reasons why people have different expectations with regard to how they spend their money. And you might see someone as cheap, but they also might just be being careful. So... Mm, before you move in together, please <laughs> talk about money and do it with a professional if you could use some additional support. And I'll actually share a few prompts to get you started if you don't have the support of a professional or you can take these to your counselor. And you can answer these on your own, kind of jot down your responses and then come together to share. And these are just some conversation starters, right, that we I use with clients. So I'll read them out to you now. Let me pull them up here. I think, right. it, I, I think it's important though, just thinking about her approaching him for the first time and using the word, and maybe it was playful cheapskate, that I would suggest using we statements instead of you <laughs> statements. It's like, you're cheap. Let's sit, like, listen, you're a cheapskate, so let's we talk. <laughs> talk about what we can, what we can do to save more money, you know? Well, actually, back to us. Have you felt like I thought you were cheap at points in time? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, and my... I don't think I am cheap. No, I think you're not. I felt, and I think it came down to judgment. I think it was, I felt like I was being judged. Mm -hmm. So you know what's funny is I would, I would end up doing the opposite. So because I was afraid of being judged for being cheap, I would actually spend more, mm. give more, mm. tip more. Sometimes to the point where I was like, well, <laughs> just tip <laughs> no, the same cost no as the left. meal. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was, I mean, really when you think about it, these are all parts of what I felt were were me, that mm -hmm. kind of defined me as opposed to, you know, it being, I know that my actions reflect, you know, who I am, but I just, anyway... I'm sorry I'm, if you felt judged by me. You know what? It's not that I think I felt judged by me. I don't think I felt judged by you now that I'm reflecting back on the on the circumstance, on the situations. I think it was my own discomfort. And let's be honest, this was about gender. This was about Absolutely. masculinity. It was about right? masculinity and the problems associated with that and like learning to decouple those like the toxic masculinity, the the social pressures, like forgetting like it's one thing to say oh don't worry about it don't play into it and it's like well i'm bombarded with these messages so frequently throughout the day that it's hard to to for me to walk away from them mm -hmm. but it's taken time and i still am influenced for sure i am i'd and, be lying if i said i was and your takeaway is don't start the conversation with hey don't be, hey, cheap, hey cheapy <laughs> talk. you know what i mean um we're teasing you too so i hope uh, we do appreciate your question and i think it's Absolutely. i actually really appreciate when people are honest yeah because someone me when i speak listen i misspeak all the time i say things that i think are funny that are not and so having a mirror held up or somebody kind of calling me in and saying hey maybe you want to consider other language so let me give you some language to get started in this conversation. So here are some of the questions from this money exercise I do with clients. What did you learn about money growing up in your household? How did your parents or caregivers talk about money? If there were money-related disputes, what were the issues? How were these issues discussed or resolved, if at all? How do you feel about your current financial situation? Do you have a set amount that you 
plan to save or spend. And of course, not everyone can afford to save. And that, of course, can affect how we relate to money. Do you have a budget? What flexibilities exist in your budget? If you don't have a budget, can we talk about planning one? Have you thought about merging finances or accounts? Do you want to keep your accounts separate? How will you split expenses? And there was a new study I was on Global TV this week or last week talking about this finding that couples who merge their accounts have less conflict about money, more unity in the relationship, and overall happier relationships because fewer conflicts around an intense issue. Uh, but having said that, that doesn't mean you should say, look, this study showed we need to merge our accounts because there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Right? There's different ways that people make their money work. There's hybrid models where you have a pooled account, but then you have separate accounts for discretionary spending, which I think can be really fun for some couples mm -hmm. because it means you can still treat each other, surprise each other, like buy a little gift or take them for dinner if that's within your budget. And this conversation, these questions, these prompts are really just the beginning. And I know money's just such a hot button issue again because it's so personal. It connects so deeply to shame and early family trauma for so many of us. So what's important is that you start talking and you keep the conversations going. And I do want to add, if you find yourself judging him, this is for anyone, I take a look at why that feeling is coming up for you, right? What, why do you think he's a cheapskate? And what does that mean to you? And how does it relate to your experiences of money and relationships? You know, ask yourself how it relates to your financial identity. For example, do you overspend some time and then feel guilty about it so you judge people who err on the other side, who don't spend? Maybe you're having this reflective or deflective lens. And I'm not saying that's the case, but just consider how your own money hangups, your own money issues, because we've all got them, might lead to judgment that holds you back from really having these conversations and finding common ground as you build this next stage of your life together. Yeah, which is exciting, right? It I mean, is. it can be a really fun time can also be a, a point where some of the pressure is relieved, like if you're both contributing to household expenses or rent, because I mean, things are so expensive right now. Oh, yes. Okay, I have one last question with a short answer. If my new girlfriend hid her credit card and student loan debt from me, does this qualify as financial infidelity? You want me to answer first? No, I, my answer is I don't know. I need more yeah, context. I and I, I don't think it matters what we call it. I think if you're having feelings, if you're feeling betrayed, if you're feeling like someone has been dishonest with you, whether it's about money or sex or anything else in your lives, just start talking about it. I feel so much more empathy when somebody comes to me and is, is vulnerable or is honest, where it's like, if that was the case and I came to you and I'm like, I'm so I'm so uncomfortable having this conversation, but I want to bring it to your attention because it's been eating at me for so long. I want to talk about the debt that I have, or I want to talk about the recent spending that I did, and um, however you however you feel about it, or I feel about it, then you know, kind of conveying that to you immediately. I, I want to meet you where you are. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to freak out. I want to be like, wow. I want to mirror how you've come to me emotionally, and I want to say, you know, it's okay. We're gonna get through this. Like, we're we're gonna work through, and we're gonna find a solution. You just did three things in a potentially difficult conversation. Like, you had that soft startup with with vulnerability, saying, you know what, this is tough for me, and then you you reaffirmed your commitment, like, I want to make this work. And then you reassured me that it was going to be okay. And I think that if you can use that language, and maybe it feels cheesy to be like, use I statements or, you know, reassure your partner, but it's really meaningful in the heat of the moment, especially when you're angry, especially when you're triggered, especially when you're talking about such personal and intense topics. So I hope some of these questions, some of these prompts, some of the language we've shared will lead to more conversations about money because it is a hot button 
important issue, I see relationships struggle and even deteriorate because of a lack of communication around money. It's not oftentimes about just the money itself. It is about communicating. And obviously, some of these questions will pertain to your financial situation. Sometimes they won't. I get that not everybody has the privilege to save or the privilege to make these choices because you're just trying to get by. But the more you talk about the feelings you attach to money, the better off you are. So we'll leave it at that. Tell you to, I don't want to say it this way, go spend your money at Target with Lumi. No, I'm teasing. Um, but if you do want to check out an affordable, good quality, safe, silicone, medical grade silicone vibrator, go check out Bloomy at Target and we'll leave it there. Wherever you're at, I hope you have a great one and you start some sort of meaningful conversation for happier, more fulfilling relationships today. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.